As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Wish I had learned this truth many years ago. Be thankful for the days, good and bad. All right, welcome to another episode of Warrior vs. Zombie. We got a great episode for you today, and another amazing warrior, Susan Kirsch. I'll introduce a little more of her and what she's about here in a minute. But let's talk a little bit about Warrior versus Zombie, if this is your first time joining us. want you to understand what we're about. So success is a journey. It's not a destination. As warriors, we all have a history of ups and downs, wins and losses, and all of those making us who we are up to this point. And also they provide a foundation for our path forward. We all battle our inner zombie as well as those zombies in our world. In each episode, I interview warriors who are aspiring leaders from all walks of life. Entrepreneurs, artists, authors, health practitioners, business owners, really any inspired leader that has a story to tell. These warriors have a cause, they have unique value and a vision that goes generations into the future. Today, we have a great warrior, Susan Kirsch. Susan is really a true warrior on many levels. She's an author, a teacher, a facilitator, consultant, California political organizer, and a mother, probably the most important for last. She's a founder of Livable California, which strengthens local decision-making and protects communities from overdevelopment. Over her journey of several decades, she has applied her warrior skills in education, research, nonprofit management, fundraising, and community organizing. Her education experiences have impacted numerous company boardrooms, high schools, universities, and even maximum security prisons, which is kind of an interesting story there. I'm hoping to hear a little more of that. She has been a nonprofit strategy and fundraising consultant, executive director of the American Sports Institute, a professor at Golden State University, Case Western Reserve University, and high school English teacher, and a speech teacher. Her latest book, Simply Good or God, I'm not sure, Praise Poems Celebrating the Divine in Daily Life follows a book that she wrote a decade or two ago, I think, is called What to Do Between Here and There. So anyway, I'm sure if I've gotten any of that story wrong, I'm sure we'll get to correct it in the second segment here. But uh, Susan, how are you doing? (laughs) Well, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for that introduction. It's so interesting just to hear things capsulated in a few sentences and remember those things that have been a part of my journey. And I just want to commend you too on the idea for this show for warriors with that idea that so much of of being a warrior, I think is being bold and being willing to take action. 
but knowing how often that can be challenging as we live in really challenging times and the risks often seem really high and stepping into that high risk area and still taking action, I think is a part of what for me is the meaning of being a warrior and and I understand how I've done that at times, feeling like it's diving off a high board and going, what am I doing here? But really enjoying even the dive down to the water and knowing I've landed every time. Well, I have to ask you, Susan, um, because we're in two different parts of the country, which is kind of fascinating. You're in San Francisco area, the Bay Area, right? And I'm here in Texas. And with all of this uh, COVID-19, with the various uh, protests and a sundry of things, is there anything that you think is in your world that I, you know, is unique or, you know, that I maybe am not experiencing here in deep in the heart of Texas? Well, I was thinking about my world this morning and, and so want to answer your question in two parts. Part of it is just personally my personal world and how it gives me kind of the strength and sustenance to continue to feel like I am on a warrior path and then respond to the idea of the the current national circumstances. But thinking about my situation personally, this morning, as I do every morning, you know, Monday through Friday, I started with a ritual practice that includes some yoga and some meditation and some of what I call coloring and writing and some affirmations. So all of that is just such an important part of my staying grounded in the day that I'm coming into. Then once that's over this morning, my special treat was being able to walk out to my garden to pick raspberries for breakfast, which is a treat. And the other thing that's a part of my day, which I've been doing regularly since COVID-19, is scheduling time at dusk to go out with a goal of walking 5,000 steps So I'm both keeping myself physically healthy and in that transition time between lightness and darkness. So that's the personal part. Nationally, I mean, we're in such a mess. We're being hit by so many, you know, double whammies of COVID-19 and the murder of George Floyd and then the follow-up protests. And what strikes me about this is the number of people who say, well, we're all in the boat together. We're all in the same boat. And I guess I just really want to say, because it links to the work that I do, that when I hear that statement, I'm always taken back just a bit because I can recognize really my own privilege of feeling like I am in a boat and the boat is quite well provided. It's at least, you know, a strong rubber raft with provisions. But when I look around off to the right, for example, I can see that there are other people who are in a luxury liner and they're in the water, but they've got, you know, martinis and dancing and everything they want in that ship that's providing them over to the right. And to the left, just remembering, too, that there are people who are treading water and they're actually in the water. They're fighting off the sharks. So I don't really believe we are in the boat together. I love the sentiment of that. But for me, it is then that kind of awareness of there are many ways that we're all in the same water or as close to the water, but the experience can be really different. So then in terms of how I've lived much of my life is having a certain awareness, not always with that terminology, but a certain awareness of how is it that we can at least give greater protection to those people who are treading water. So the work that I've done, you know, teaching in inner city Cleveland, Ohio for a while, or working in the prison in Minnesota, you know, various things that I've done have been to look to see how do we keep equaling the playing field or the water for everybody. Wow. Yeah, it actually is an interesting perspective. I think that I too get wore out with the, we're all in the same boat together, the new normal, the, all the little things that we tend to kind of trivialize a lot of the things that we're all working through. And the fact is, one of the things you said is we aren't all in the same boat. I mean, we may all be dealing with the same challenges, but we're all dealing with them from kind of where we're at. We're all on our own. As I say, when I'm talking about our, each of us have a unique vision. We may be on the same bridge, but we, I'm not walking your journey. You're not walking mine. I can be aligned with you, 
we can both be aligned and have similar intentions and purpose, but we're all in our own boats. Right. Like you say, some of them, I, I, I think that I like your analogy there, that some of them are better equipped than others to weather the storm. And if you're not even in a boat or your boat is a life raft or a inner tube, it's quite different than if you, like you said, your luxury liner. So I think that's that's a really interesting way of looking. I love your, by the way, I love your daily routine. I'm of the same way. I think as we get down our on our journey a little bit, uh, if I compromise my morning meditation, my prayer, my my exercise, my meal, everything. I mean, if I do mess with any of that, I'm running the risk of being off track. So it's it's a really that's a really important lesson for all warriors to understand is that that morning ritual, that routine that we start with is is really important. So you know, I could just add what my I, I do four daily uh, affirmations which are really simple, but they, they have grounded me a great deal. The first one is to show up, which I think is the basic principle of warrior dumb. The second one is to tell the truth. The third one is to do what has heart and meaning. And the fourth one is to be unattached to the outcomes. So doing it with vigor and enthusiasm. Ooh, and then unfortunately knowing we never know exactly what the outcome is going to be. So Enjoy the journey, as you're fond of saying. Well, actually, that's a you. This is a great place. You you brought us to a really ex. This we could go on and on. I know I've, you and I have talked a little bit already, and I, I I know I could talk with you and we could chat about all kinds of stuff. Uh, but what I'm going to do is I think we're going to land the plane for this segment. And what I want to do is when we come back, uh, you have such a fascinating story journey that I that I've read and I've read a lot more than you know what I was able to say in your introduction but I kind of want to hear how you got from your origin to today and then I want my the audience to hear that as well so when we come back after listening to the first or the second installment of Ricky Jean Wright and it's our theme song it's not the getting there then I will hear a little bit about Susan's story. So thanks and stick with us and we'll be right back. But the miles become the teacher While the student learns real slow Traveling blind most of the time Wherever you go It's not the getting there it's the journey every day. It's not a race to see. All right, we're back with Warrior vs. Zombie, Susan Kirsch, and we had a great check-in segment, one of the best so far. And I just want to say that, Susan, you left us with some really amazing points in that first section, and I'm really excited about that. But what I really want to hear about now is I want to hear what you can tell me about your journey getting you from your origin to here. How did you get to here? You've got quite a quite a journey there. So I'm really interested in hearing how you can share that with me in this segment. Well, okay. Um, the journey has been really interesting to give thought to in preparation for today and just how to condense, you know, like decades of living into a few primary decisions and events that happen as a result of those decisions. So actually, you know, I, I think I'm going to go back and start with graduation from high school. I was going to go in a different order, but I think I'm going to start with just saying I graduated in a small farming community in Minnesota. I had 37 classmates, so it was a really small class. But there were a couple of things about that that stood out for me in thinking of my journey. One is that in, in, in my small town, I was both the FFA, the Future Farmers of America's Sweetheart, and I also was inducted into the National Honor Society. So those were, you know, those were interesting for me. And, but the other thing was that at graduation, I was given a book called I Dare You. It's a book that came out in 1931 by William Danforth. It's still on Amazon. I went to check it. And I think that getting the book I Dare You 
really set me up to say, what is it I could do coming from these very humble beginnings of a family of five kids and two parents. And it was, there were some real challenges that went into that environment, but the I dare you has stuck with me that I even thought about it for today. I think it's telling. You know, I went to college, I did a bunch of things, but I want to next just settle on what made a really big impact on me is that I moved from Minnesota. Eventually I was in Portland, Oregon, and I was hired to work in a regional education center called the Northwest Regional Educational Lab. And we were looking at how is it that we could facilitate better community engagement around educational decision-making. And it was a fabulous experience where we became our own kind of learning lab of the 50 or 60 people who work together, looking especially at how do we use systematic problem-solving and really problem solving, if it is laid out in that way, is so such a great tool. And I think far too people even today are using that. The second part of what we did was looking at promoting leadership and understanding group processes and how to engage a lot of people in difficult decision making. And the third thing was how to build bridges of collaboration. So I had those skills skills and tool sets that came into my toolbox. Then move forward a little bit further. Um, I was married. I moved down to the Bay Area and I was hired. I mean, hired, it was easy. It was my my husband and I who started an organization, ex-husband, called the American Sports Institute. And I was the executive director for the Sports Institute. So I got to both do work in programming and in fundraising in the executive functions But the magic of this program is that we were taking the study and practice of sports and helping kids improve their achievement in school by understanding concentration and discipline and balance. And so all of that was just a really incredible experience working with middle school and high school students all across the country. I'll tell you just one or two of the highlights of it was that we attracted enough attention that we had other professional sports players and coaches come to support the work that we were doing, including San Francisco 49er Steve Young, you know, uh, San Francisco Giants manager Dusty Baker. And one of the highlights of that was being at a fundraising event where we had invited uh, Bill Walsh, who was the coach for the 49ers, to be one of our speakers. And he had had such a busy schedule, he hadn't committed. So night of the event, I didn't think we were going to see him. And one of the great surprises of my journey was he- feeling a tug at my sleeve and turning to this man, who I recognized immediately, who said, do you mind if I say a few words? <laughs> and so it was just a great delight that we could say yes, of course. Then moving forward again, I guess now I'll go to what I was doing like to, uh, in 2016. And that is after a series of things that had happened, including starting a neighborhood association to deal with changes that were being proposed for my neighborhood that most of the neighbors didn't like, starting a countywide agency called Citizen Marin, because we saw that what we dealt with in our neighborhood was happening in other neighborhoods. And having been president for four years of a group called the Marin Coalition became a platform for me to do the most audacious thing I'd ever did, I'd ever done, which was to run for our Marin County Board of Supervisors. And I had developed enough of a reputation and a network and respect and collaboration in the work that I'd done that while I didn't win in that race against an incumbent who had been appointed by Governor Jerry Brown, I got a very respectable 42% of the vote that enabled me to be mindful of how it is that we organize teams and bring people together around what they care about that's happening in government and political and policy concerns and use that as a way to... um, you know, just really learn so much about what was happening in my county and to make, meet so many people who shared my passion, you know, for making things better for everybody. Wow. That's actually, you've covered so many things. One of the things is I've been in the same room with Bill Walsh a couple of times oh. <laughs> and he is, he's a fascinating, he's a great speaker. He's, he's awesome. So, so that's, that's really cool. I, um, you've covered 
a lot of time distance distance there in 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 your story and what do you think up to that point or is is am i still there as far as your biggest hurdles or zombies you've overcome even getting to to the point where you're at i mean you're with all the educational and all of the uh, challenges that you obviously starting something that reached across the country in the educational space and everything else there's just got to be some some challenges that you've powered through. I know warriors don't always focus on those, but uh, I'm just curious. Well, I think that there've been a couple of challenges that have been consistent for me, just personally at that level of the, the voice that says, who do you think you are? You're, you're not the one who could tackle this problem. There are much better qualified other people who could, you know, be an executive director for a sports institute or who could run for the position of supervisor. So, so that voice that says you're not the one, like don't raise your hand is one that I've had to really um, deal with, you know, and, and just that um, hesitancy to put myself on the line for visibility and vulnerability of being in visible positions. And I'll tell you what the biggest wake up call for me, the big, you know, and a really a significant challenge, you know, that happened after my time with the American Sports Institute and then moving into political things is that I I am a cancer survivor, a breast cancer survivor. And I can say there is nothing like getting a diagnosis of you have cancer to just knock the wind out of my sails. I think for most people I know who have ever gone through that, it is really a startling reality of having to face your own vulnerability, your own mortality. I mean, my own love of life and the fact that I was in a situation with two kids who were, I think 10 and 12 at the time, you know, just like you had said, I so wanted to see them you know, grow up and be at their graduations and get married and have grandchildren. So having a diagnosis of breast cancer really took me deep into reflecting on as much as I'd accomplished as well as I'd done in many areas, how timid I felt I had still been in taking on challenges. So so being a survivor too is a wonderful way to feel like I've survived that I have life, just precious, precious life with an ability to walk in balance on two legs and healthy to take breaths into my lungs that enable me to stay healthy and well. So so it just inspired me in so many ways for that run for the Board of Supervisors of going, well, why not me? Like, if not me, who's going to do it? Because really, there were no challengers who were stepping up to do that and believing in politics, win or lose, having challengers is one of the most important things we can have to get points of view to the table with respectfulness. Or like with good sports teams, as I'd learned in the American Sports Institute, the best games are when it's the Dodgers and the Giants or whoever you know you can think of as having the greatest level of skill and you want to keep improving your game by playing at the highest level you can play. Wow. Well, that's quite a, a zombie or quite an obstacle, the, the cancer thing. It's obvious that you've made some decisions along the way there to not only getting the diagnosis, but what it really meant to you. And it actually meant something you were going to overcome. And that to me is, uh, and you took that forward and plowed it into your run for political office and other, any other things probably from that point on that you've plowed into because you are here you are breathing air you're (laughs) vibrant and you're powerful and all those good things anything else in your story that we should be aware of yet have you gotten gotten us to today or where how much further do we have to go go ahead no i think i've gotten us to today all right well i'll tell you that's uh, that particular zombie is important i have one of my guests say i had cancer it's not a big deal i mean i'm going okay so for sure, I know there are other people that are listening to this podcast that are 
fighting that battle, fighting that zombie. And yeah, I can just add to that. I mean, that experience for me, two, one of the most profound things was that have, having gone through the mastectomy, radiation, chemo, the experience of having my hair come out in clumps due to the chemotherapy is so humbling and such a reminder of how much we might think we can control things, how there also are many, many things that are out of our control, other than as we can keep imagining the very best for ourselves and our families, our environment. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Well, I think that's a, this is a great place to end the uh, second segment. And we get to hear coming in, uh, Susan, what I want uh, after we come back from the break is for you to share a little bit about where you are today. You've got a lot of life in you. I can tell it. I can feel it. And I can hear it in your voice. And I want to hear about you know why you're doing what you're doing today, why you're doing it, uh, the value, unique value that you are providing. And if anything were possible, uh, where are we going to go on this journey from here? So with that, we're going to end this segment, going to give it back to Ricky Jean Wright, and a little more of It's Not the Getting There, and we'll be back in just a few seconds. It's not a race to see how many people know your name. One day you realize time was worth more than the gold It's not the getting there When you get there you'll know Funny All right, we're back for the third segment here with two different Susan Kirshen. I'm just amazed. I just can't tell you, Susan, so how impressed I am with not only your story, but uh, what the things that you're doing today, the impact that I'm certain you're making being in San, not being in San Francisco, but being here in Texas, uh, we have similar challenges. There's, there's challenges all over the world. And it's great that we have warriors that are, that are championing and working on those things. And so now we're going to talk a little bit about where you are today, why you're doing what you're doing, that kind of stuff. So tell me something. So where I'm at today, um, I'll summarize this to say I today am an expert at bringing diverse groups of people together to be able to work in collaboration, which is kind of a summary of what you heard in all of the things I've ever done And my focus these days is really to look at political processes and how to be able to educate and engage and empower people to be most effective in political processes. And really, if you would have told me that this would be a thing I'd be doing like 20 years ago, I would have thought you were crazy because it seems like it's a much nerdier or thoughtful or complicated kind of thing. But in my practice of, of saying, yes, I'll try that, like here I am as an expert at bringing people together and feeling like the challenges are just so enormous in our political processes, where I've been focusing primarily at, you know, as I went initially in my own neighborhood to the county, to the nine county San Francisco Bay Area. And as you mentioned in the intro, I started a group called Livable California which was a practice grounds where we had some really great strides in being able to bring people, diverse people together. It was so interesting. We would have meetings twice a week. We prided ourselves on knowing we had Republicans and Democrats and Libertarians and no, no stated preference, but working together on common issues that we were feeling about a way in which Local control, especially over housing and land use, were influencing neighborhoods in all of our nine county Bay Area. And then as we learned all through California, and maybe this is also true in Texas, and I know it's true in other parts of the country. And so I had convened a meeting after knowing that one of our California senators, who is 
you know, the, the champion of high density housing near transit, which I know some people think is a really good idea, but many of us who lived in communities where we were able to picture what a five or six story building next to our residential neighborhood would look like um, and felt like that was not what we wanted. So, so I had heard that Senator Weiner was going to be holding a town hall in San Francisco at a local police station. And so thought, let me see what I can do with my network. I made a few calls and invited people to meet at a restaurant afterwards to see if there was an appetite for us to start working together. And the general premise was individually, we were getting clobbered by state laws that come and hit you unexpectedly if you've not been paying attention. And it's no surprise that people don't pay attention because the laws are difficult to read and difficult to know how one is stacking up on the one from the previous years with long numbers and complicated or confusing language. So there, there was an appetite. People agreed that we needed to work together to be stronger. You know, kind of like the sticks individually, we were being broken. But if we bundled together, we might be less breakable. And, and the idea that by delegating and working together, we also had a chance of working smarter, not just harder, because of that feeling, as in all of the communities, people having to work so hard. So, so we, we had a great run during the 18-month period that I was really active with the group. We organized you know, trips. We probably had 50 or more people who went to lobbying trips to Sacramento, paying close attention to having age diversity, gender diversity, ethnic diversity, north-south geographic diversity, so that we had some impact, especially on one of the worst of the bills called Senate Bill 50, which was a high-density bill that everybody thought sure would pass. And Livable California and my efforts are credited in the LA Times with having been a part of, obviously a lot of other effort too, but a part of stopping that bill. So in addition to that, my interest in that organization was also setting up a pipeline by which people would be prepared to run for office themselves so that we could get more like-minded people running for positions in city councils or on planning commissions. You know, we did town hall meetings to expand education. Uh, we did media, you know, media outlets. Uh, KQED is our public network here in the Bay Area, so did some shows with them. And, and overall developed a toolkit that other people can use which now, having left Livable California, I'm looking to be able to make that toolkit and that expertise that I've acquired over like these many, many years of so many different silos of expertise, now bringing those together to be able to help more people who are going, what the heck is going on in my neighborhood with these tall buildings and who approved this? And how are we going to provide the water to support this growing population? Or where are people going to park? And there's so many questions that so many people who are impacted by the decisions are asking when it's almost too late because the legislative sessions made that decision like two years ago or something that we just don't know. So, so that's kind of the where I'm at. And, um, and I just, I find it incredibly exciting, I think, because of the challenge of it and because it feels like the forces that were made popular during the Occupy movement. You might remember that we, we were introduced, I was introduced to that expression of the 1%. And knowing, going back to that image of we're all in the same boat, but some people are often the luxury liner, that in terms of the, the 1%, we have people who are dominating the acquisition of wealth globally while other people are falling deeper and deeper into desperation and homelessness and not being able to have even access to the American dream by having qualified edu or quality education or healthcare or job opportunities. So it all ends up being a, like kind of this knotted ball of yarn that I, along with many others, then are looking to see how we can unravel that to both make local leaders working with local elected officials, working with regional and state legislators, more 
kind and more conscience, conscious and more competent to handle those problems in ways that really bring us long-term solutions, not special interest solutions that don't ever really solve the problem. Well, I love the fact that you're focusing on the solutions that really serve everybody. The, as they always say, the rising tide floats all boats. If, if, if we can come up with solutions that truly serve all strata, all levels, whether it's the people who need the, the high-rise housing or well, the people that have the, the nice estate next to it and everybody being concerned and having, you know, we all look at the beach ball and it may be a different color from each angle, but we, it's, we're looking at the same thing. So trying to get everybody together, like you've described, to work on a common problem or a common opportunity to, to really reach a very favorable end that serves everybody is, is just a beautiful thing. So I really appreciate that. Tell me a little bit. Um, I wanted, didn't want to get out of this segment of where you are now and you may be, we're going to tell me anyway, but tell me about your, your book. I'm, I'm still fascinated by the G O asterisk D and want to want you to help me understand. I haven't read the book, so I, I confess, but I would like to. So, uh, I, I, but I, I find the entitled fascinating. And so share a little bit of that with me. Okay. Thank you for asking about that. Um, The subtitle, by the way, is Praise Poems Celebrating the Divine in Daily Life. And the poems come from my morning practice, which is, you know, it has many parts to it, but the two-part sequence is that I do coloring and I color because it was my best way to quiet the critical mind, so which is one of my you know avenues for um, zombie getting out of uh, from, to warrior from zombie, but the the coloring and the writing is what what was the generation of the praise poems. The title of the book comes from something I've been interested for a long time. You know, I grew up in a Christian household. I have great appreciation for my Christian roots and over time have had a kind of expanding spiritual experience. And a part of what I see in this world of duality, when we think of as as God, the spiritual force as a single unifying entity, that that is what God means to me at least, and that God is the embodiment of goodness. So I have been troubled by the fact that so often God is referred to as male, and it is so in our cultural environment that God is the father and God is masculine and God is paternal, and that we have lost a great deal, I think, by not having a greater honoring of the feminine And that, in fact, it is not that our image of the divine should be male or female because that is living in the world of time and space and duality. And, in fact, in our spiritual lives, what we're all striving for is that feeling of the unity and the oneness, which is, in the Jewish tradition at least, unpronounceable, that they don't pronounce the name of G-O asterisk D. So my book was kind of a play off. I want God to be just the mystery of God. And I want to move God into having, to being gender neutral would be a great, you know, if I ever want to tackle an even bigger challenge, I will be looking for the campaign to have God be gender neutral, which I can imagine will create great backlash and, consternation for anyone who really is still caught in a mindset that of course God is the father, but I would say, and the title of my book is intended to convey God is good. Good. Every level God is good. Well, God is good all the time and all all the time, good or bad, no matter what's going on. So yeah, we're in total agreement there for sure. And I think that's a fascinating, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That, that uh, was curious about that. And, uh, I think that love, God is love, God is, you know, I mean, really, that's not gender specific. Agape, God's love is well beyond what we can 
compartmentalize anyway within our human existence, even though we're both created in his or her, <laughs> however you want to do it. The, 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 his, his likeness, <laughs> right? His likeness and being. And so anyway, so yeah, we could spend a lot of time on that. I um, have, like I say, I've been on my own Christian journey for oh, more 50 plus years. So let's put it that way. So it's really a part of, I think, honoring that journey in the mystery of what does it mean to be spiritual creatures as much as we can kind of better understand our physical, emotional, social self, but the, the mystery of what does that mean in terms of the gift of life for anything that is living and breathing. I mean, it's fascinating. Yes. <laughs> so was that kind of your, if anything were possible, you'd kind of transform that particular thing? Was there anything else? in this part of where you're at that uh, you're, you're striving for? It sounds, I mean, you, that's a, you've laid out some pretty massive uh, vision and challenges here in terms of, of that and bringing everybody, you know, on a topic like you just mentioned in your book, bringing people together of different, coming from different angles to, to embrace things like that is a challenge for sure. Well, I can ask, add just one more because I, I do think about these kinds of things. I would also like to see capitalism go through some really pretty major structural changes. Um, there's an author called Genevieve Vaughn who writes about the gift economy that many of your listeners might know about, but really to look at how we need to make changes in the way we think about ex- exchange and money and profit as being a measurement of success when it puts so many people in desperation. So I also want to see or support whoever is tackling that kind of issue. Yeah, and that's actually uh, another big challenge, right? I mean, it's, it's uh, as they always say, you know, it's um, trying to find the answer. You know, the, the biggest problem with capitalism is capitalists and the biggest problem with socialism is socialism. So it, it, the system doesn't really work. So there's got to be a solution, I agree. Somewhere... Uh, on the spectrum of possibilities that is not necessarily polarized one or the other, but continues to grow. And I believe that uh, assuming that we're allowed to stay on this planet for uh, our existence, that we'll, we all need to kind of continue to continue to make it a better place. And for not only for, well, for each other, I mean, really that's, that's what it is. So that's, that's crazy. Awesome. That's really good, Susan. Thank you. That's, I'm glad you're on. I'm glad you're on such a. You have such an aspirational journey. One of the things I say is I'm any aspirational leader, and it it sounds like you still are up for the challenge of being an aspiring leader to make a difference beyond even what you've done so far. So that's great. Well, you know what we're going to do. I think we're going to land the plane for this segment. We're come back into what I call the land the plane segment, which is. Uh, segment number four, and, and what I'd like you to do, we've covered. You've covered so many things from your story, uh, uh, some of the things even in our introductory session, and then now uh, in where you are and where you're going. And I know you're passionate about a lot of things, but I really like when we come back for you to give me one or two things that, if we took nothing away from this podcast what would those one or two things be? So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to listen to a little more of Ricky Jean Wright, and it's not the getting there. And then we'll be right back with Susan Kirsch and Warrior vs. Zombie. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Funny how wisdom and youth are always two different games. The years flew by so fast Is the common human complaint The memories in our minds Turn to diamonds in our soul And by the grace of God all right, we're back with the final segment of this Warrior vs. Zombie episode for 12 with Susan Kirsch. And, uh, man, my head's spinning. There's so many things that uh, we've covered here, and you've had quite a journey that you've been on, and you're on an amazing journey going forward. Your aspirations, your your plans and things have just got me totally fascinated, Susan. But as I said before we took the break, if you look at all the things that we could take away from this podcast that you would hope that we took away with, can you give me one or two or three things that you might want the audience to be sure that they don't forget these things? What would those be? Well, actually, I want to give you one package of things, but then it has components. And just to describe this package is from when, you know, when I was raising kids and the fact that I didn't think of it as raising warrior children, but I, these expressions came to mind and what we used as a morning practice before the kids would go off to school or anything. And so it had, we would, we called, these were our bows. We did bows of respect and honoring each other in our lives as we went off, not knowing what would happen next. And we would say to each other in unison, these principles of being warriors, let's be bold. Let's pay attention. Let's be kind. Let's learn something new and let's be forgiving. So within that context, to send my children out into the world, I come back to that to say, I think those are really part of what the, war- the warrior's most valuable lessons are. Wow. <laughs> that was amazing. I really, be bold. I mean, so you did this every day with the kids, huh? Monday through Friday. We took Saturday and Sunday off, <laughs> but Monday through Friday. When you sent them off to school and into the world... They were told to be bold, to be kind. I mean, all of those things, all of those things are totally great. And I think those are great messages for us warriors today, for all of us, no matter whether we're kids going off to school or adults going off to work or any type of warrior in between. So that's that's amazing. Okay, so I really know that the audience here is really going to want to be able to track you down. We, you told us about your book. I'm assuming we can buy that on Amazon or whatever. But if we want to follow up with you and kind of keep track of you, see where you're going, maybe reach out to you and uh, partner with you, where would we go, Susan? So this is going to be easy. <clears throat> My website is susankirsch.com. And the best way to contact me or stay in touch with me is through my website. There's a contact information form there. So all your listeners need to remember is susankirsch.com and that they will find me with that. Well, man, you're making this last segment really easy. That's awesome. So (laughs) susankirsch.com will be the way we can find you. And there's a contact page there. And that's amazing. Yeah, I actually similar in mine is myvisionwarrior.com and then it's a booking site so put it right out there before i don't want you to figure out what about you me you want to buy just let's let's connect first so that's beautiful all right well this has been an amazing lesson amazing journey a lot of lessons too from a teacher susan kirsch and all of the things that she's learned in her life and i just want to say susan thank you thank you thank you it's been a great journey for me i'm looking forward to 
sharing this and you with the my audience. And do you have anything, any final words yourself? My final words are just thank you so much for giving me the chance to think about the journey and to both reflect with great gratitude of where I've been and eager anticipation of what's coming next. Awesome. Well, that's one of the things I always say, those that are in my network group and the writer of the song and the singer of the song, Ricky Jean Wright, of It's Not the Getting There, if you've heard that story, wrote that song because of what I always say in our networking group. And I'm not sure I've ever really said it on Warrior versus Zombie. I'm going to say it today because of what Susan just said. And that is, I believe that our most priceless and valuable gift is our time. And the fact, Susan, that you've chosen to spend this time with me on this podcast and with our audience is an investment of priceless worth that none of us can repay except with the time that we're sharing with you today. And I appreciate that more than you'll ever know. And I appreciate everybody listening to this podcast because you are investing time in the work of both Susan and I. And so I'm so thankful for that. So anyway, we're Warrior versus Zombie. This is episode 12 with Susan Kirsch. And if you want to find us, you can find us on literally Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, any major podcast platforms, YouTube, you name it. And I would ask you to please subscribe, share, download, tell your friends about it. And hopefully we'll continue to recruit and inspire more warriors on their journey. So with that, this is Dave Roberts, known as the Vision Warrior. And we're going to finish off with the final segment, hearing Ricky Jean Wright. And it's not the getting there. Have a beautiful day. It's not the getting there. It's the journey every day. It's not a race to see how many people know your name. One day you realize time was worth more than the gold It's not the getting there When you get there you'll know One day you realize Time was worth more than the gold It's not the getting there When you get there, you'll know. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.